Uh, here where we talk about the combination of the freight market supply chain environment and the global economy, because it is a global economy now. And you're back. I'm back. You didn't cancel me. You no, can't cancel this. We tried twice. You've, if you haven't canceled me already, it's, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, looks like you're just here. You, <laughs> just you're here. just here. And I'm, I'm glad you're here, Zach. I'm glad you're here. Had to go see my balls play. Thanks, Tony, for stepping in and yeah. repping. Tony's been an MVP at Freight Waves like the last this couple week months. was yeah. absolutely an MVP. So yeah. shout out to Tony. And if you haven't read Mulvey. any of Tony Mulvey's stuff, I recommend you definitely go check out some of his articles, some of his research papers. Anything that he writes, I recommend looking at it. But yeah. as Zach said, this is Freightonomics, where we combine freight and economics together. I'm Anthony Smith, Chief Economist here at Freight Waves. And this is Zach Strickland, head of Freight Market Intelligence and Together, we bring Freightonomics, and I'm going to be looking down throughout this show, and that's not me really being rude so much. It's more so yes. me. It is a little bit. It is a little <laughs> bit. But I'm also looking at LinkedIn, so we're live streaming if you happen to be watching at 12 Eastern Standard Time on this lovely Thursday afternoon on the East Coast. Join in on the conversation. If you have any questions, you want to help try to get Zach canceled once again. If you want to have a hot take, if you have something to say about the conversation, or if you have a question, anything, Jump into that LinkedIn chat and we'll get you involved with the show. Yeah, and we love those hot takes. Uh, hopefully, there'll be a few of those here today. I got I got a little bit charged up on a few things. Okay. We'll see if it comes out uh, on, in prepping the show today. Uh, but today's show is, the, the title is, has, the, has our economy and activity become too nearsighted? Are mm. we too quick to correct or overcorrect or just to respond to certain things and what is really something that takes a long time to move. Yeah. Uh, you know, you were listening to Jerome Powell before the show. I was, I was. I had to do a, a I didn't, I almost missed the show because I was still listening, <laughs> going over some recaps. Um, but he finished up his talk a while ago. Um, markets reacted, and I think they recovered um, mm-hmm. pretty substantially for today. And it was a follow-up from this Jackson's Hole mm-hmm. talk about two weeks ago where he was really tough on the talks against inflation. He said, there will be pain. And so that the title of that one, I think, was Pain Tolerance for that podcast. But he really kind of doubled down and really focusing in on his fight against inflation and really staying strong on really pumping up those interest rates to combat that. And so... Yeah, and I've got some thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. I got, I got, some, I got some thoughts on that. But first, I got to get this out of the way for those that need their freight market update. Uh, you know, when I'm on the show, uh, I give a quick two-minute update here on what we see in our current freight environment. So without further ado, let's knock this out. What do you think? Let's do it. You want to count me in? Freight in two and three, two, one. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. So first up, we have our NTI, the National Truckload Index. This is extremely important to watch right now. Of course, it averages all the spot rates in the United States with our Trusted Rate Assessment Consortium. Um, And it includes fuel and the white line at the top, but we remove the estimated fuel cost based on 6.5 miles per gallon in the green line. The reason I do that is to see, is fuel having some sort of inflationary or deflationary impact on the market rates? And it looks like not so much. And we just had a holiday, Labor Day. Normally, what we would see around Labor Day is a pretty decent little pop uh, in both of these indexes as capacity comes offline. Well, this year, we're not seeing that whatsoever. Uh, so the big takeaway for me here is that carriers were essentially just, they, they worked through the holiday. They said, give us all your freight. Uh, the next chart I want to pull up is comparing our NTI 
to the outbound tender rejection index. And actually what the outbound tender rejection index tells us here in the white line is essentially that that little bump was not necessary. So what you saw there was potentially some straight to spot market expedited higher level of service uh, premiums show, uh, showing up in the NTI, whereas the contracted freight environment, which is largely measured by the tender data that we have, outbound tender rejection index here, didn't really bump at all. It was pretty much flat throughout the holiday period. And traditionally, this is almost a given that we see a little bit of a bump of the outbound tender rejection index, but not uh, this time. Now, so this is kind of a daunting sign for those carriers out there. Moving on to our last chart uh, to show what happened with demand. Maybe demand declined? No. Contract load accepted volumes, the accepted tenders spiked, just like you would expect them to right before the holiday, meaning uh, carriers just accepted more of that volume. So they were just as busy operating under contract. He did it again. It's like you <laughs> never left, Zach. Like you never left. Excellent recap, Market Into, Freight Market Into update there. Zach, when you look at what's happened since, and you weren't gone for long. You were just. I'm never there. gone. And you're never really gone. Never but really gone. if we were <laughs> to pretend that you were indeed gone and just offline, were there any surprises throughout that time? Uh, yeah, I mean, this, this one is. I don't know that I would call it a surprise because we've been in this softening, easing cycle for a while in the freight market. But this one, you know, the little bump in the CLAV there at the very end, those accepted volumes having, I mean, we saw an increase in demand like we normally see, but it literally did nothing to tender rejections, which is extremely unusual for the holiday. I mean, even around July 4th, and it's a natural thing because the carriers, uh, the drivers, they're taking vacations. This is showing me that they were really focused on making sure they kept everything in-house. Right. Uh, so the carriers are really feeling it right now. Whether or not they're feeling it substantially, they know that there is an environment now that is dramatically different than a year ago. And, of course, we're going to have to have Zach Rogers on here soon, yeah. hopefully. I know he mm -hmm. is busy teaching the future superstars of logistics tomorrow <laughs> and it's it's really great when we get to have him on because he dives into the LMI Logistics Managers Index. Zach, Dr. Zach Rogers, if you haven't heard him before, I think he is definitely the most underrated voice in logistics for sure. Mm -hmm. um, his LMI, I haven't dived into it too deeply, but mm -hmm. it did show that there's still ongoing expansion, I believe, and transportation capacity. Prices yep. are still starting to come down. So I think that coincides with what you're seeing as well. Yeah, Todd Maiden wrote an article about this covering it. So check it out. It said, uh, I think, believe capacity loosened in uh, August once again. Uh, for trucking. So not necessarily super shocking to us. We watch it every day. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think that is, uh, that's kind of the ongoing theme. And a lot of the conversations that we're having right now are just around how soft are we going to get? Now, we just had a comment right now mm -hmm. on LinkedIn from John Worthington saying he is shutting down as a result of low rates. He says he refuses to haul for free. Yeah. See, and this is, this is the thing. This is going to be a totally different easing cycle than we saw in 2019, where we saw a lot of capacity growth in the larger fleets, you know, and the smaller fleets grew as well. But they also bought uh, at relatively inexpensive prices when they were buying their equipment. Things were coming on slowly uh, throughout 2018 into 2019. And we're still seeing fleet expansion <laughs> because the, it takes a while for people to get in their trucks. So this is going to We've got, we've got a long tail to this. Uh, the question is, will demand 
hold up uh, at the levels that it's at right now to help support some of this. Indeed, he says, he adds on to say it's way cheaper to park his truck and trailers than break his bank account. So. Yeah, and, and, and I'm assuming, you know, owner-operator environment is extremely challenging right now uh, with the spot market where it is because, like you just saw with the CLAV, all those larger fleets are taking all that freight now. Yeah. There's no overflow that you have grown accustomed to over the last two years. Um, and that's going to make it really hard. But um, we've got some newsonomics to cover because this fits so with our theme. And this volatility, it, our, obviously our commenter there is starting to feel. Uh, and I think he's not, going, he's not alone yeah. uh, in the way that these wild swings in our economic environment are extreme, they're, they're not healthy. <laughs> right. uh, they're very difficult to manage for large and small uh, businesses out there, especially the owner-operators that uh, maybe finally found the cash flow that they needed uh, to go and start their own business, you know? Uh, and then they find that they bought at a premium and now that, you know, that inflationary yeah. impact and with the lack of availability of loads, they just, it's just tough. It is tough. And this is one of those things I've dealt, of course, we were kind of cautioning against earlier on uh, last year, really. We started to see some of those increases in used truck prices. Those yep. prices were just getting so, so high. And, and that's the market looks so intriguing and so attractive to newcomers that a lot of folks really just put so much money just to get into the game, only to find out that the grass wasn't green at all on this side. Yeah, and the theme of today is, are we too reactionary? Are we too reactive? And sometimes, and, and obviously, I think the answer is, is yes, in a lot of ways, uh, to answer that question. But I, I think there's some also buried lessons in all of this. And one of those is in this article here that I'm looking at with uh, Todd Maiden uh, covering LTL stocks sag on weaker than expected Q3 updates. Um, and this article really kind of got me fired up. <laughs> weaker than expected. So stocks fell down. Yeah. And, and I'm going to read you some numbers, Anthony. <clears throat> Reported revenue was up 14.5% in August for Old Dominion. Uh, and that growth rate was 390 basis points lower than it recorded in July. Their yield was up 18.1% and 7.3% excluding fuel uh, compared to the same period of 2021. What are your, what are your thoughts there when you hear... 14% year-over-year <laughs> uh, year growth. I'm like, initially on the headline, I'm thinking this is good stuff. Yet the stock dropped. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, what happened there? <laughs> I, I would love to know. I would love <laughs> to know. Like, if you, told, if you told any company, and this is an established company, Old mm -hmm. Dominion's been around for decades uh, in some form or fashion, and it's not a growth-centric tech firm that just started in 2017. Yeah. A 14.5% growth rate in revenue and an 18% yield, 7% yield, year over year. And yeah. we're talking about disappointment. Does this, does this, is this kind of why we're overcorrective? When we hear things like this, that's, well, I got to sell that stock. We didn't make 20% exactly. yeah. revenue so, growth. <laughs> and I think that's a big thing within, <laughs> of course, the freight world in general is that, like you said, we're so quick to react. And sometimes... They just slow sold to their respond stocks. as yeah. well. And so <laughs> it's just like we'll we'll see a trend happening and we all know like, all right, this is not going to mm -hmm. go well. And then there's an overcorrection mm -hmm. or there's just something that doesn't make logistical sense in a sense. And yeah. so I, I'm intrigued by this article. 
Yeah. I mean, and obviously people that watch us and read Freight Waves would know that we are in a downward cycle. It's not necessarily means that things are going to correct and whip back to where they were. We're coming down off of all-time high growth. And for me reading this article, it kind of, you know, is kind of the microcosm of our world today yeah. and, our, and our reactionary culture of, oh no, things are they're going to go from super awesome to terrible, like right. all at once. And all we're seeing here is just a tempering. And if you could tell me, if you're a financial analyst and you could predict with accuracy, <laughs> with any precision, a, the level of tempering that we're in right now with a company that you do not work for, <laughs> uh, I'll invest in you right now. I'll give you all my savings. <laughs> yeah. this, this is one of the reasons why I stick to trying to forecast macroeconomic yeah. things and not so much... The, so there's I mean, some sense that you can make around macroeconomic <laughs> factors and, and seasonality, things like that. This is just like pure human irrationality at times here. I just, I, I, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think everybody needs to calm down. Uh, 390 basis points off in an environment like this is nothing. It's nothing. Uh, don't sell your stock in Old Dominion. They're a great company. <laughs> um, this next one, this next story I got from Bloomberg.com and it is... Again, along the same lines of overreaction. Uh, are we overreacting or did we underreact to start this one? This one is fascinating to me. Now, this comes from Bloomberg. French shipping billionaires, uh, sod, uh, soaring wealth provokes political storm. So the company, uh, CMA, uh, is the company that is being referenced here. The big shipping, one of the big shipping conglomerates in the world. Uh, obviously, these companies have had, uh, these are the container lines that you see, these mega boats, these giant ships, record profits, worth $19 billion, this family is, the Saad family. Uh, and they were nearly bankrupt in 2009. Uh, and this article goes into pretty good detail and tells the story uh, of the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows, and really most of their wealth was actually generated over the last 12 to 18 months. Yeah. Uh, because of the freight shipping boom. My question to you, Anthony Smith, <laughs> uh, you know, and the French government saying, we need to tax them. And this, this is the, you know, there's a little bit of politics in here. It's one of the, you know, the liberal arm of their, of their government is calling for taxation because they're like, you're making too much profits off of our pain. Yeah. What's your thoughts here in terms of, you know, this company went from bankruptcy to making ultra billions. Yeah. And now they want to tax them for their success. What's the... Yeah, my, my initial thoughts here is just, you weren't with me shooting in the gym. You weren't practicing with me. <laughs> you weren't going through those hardships with me. Right. And so my initial thoughts are, yeah, they've been going through it on the verge of bankruptcy, financial crisis. They were going through... This is not me diving deep into it. And so, yeah, I understand there's that in, initial thought of like, hey, they're making so much money and they're profiting off of this and maybe it's extortionary. Maybe there's there's something a little bit wrong about this, but I'm also thinking to myself, they've been through it. They have been providing a service. They haven't really been able to really climb, climb, climb. They've been successful over these last uh, couple of years. And I think that's kind of one of the paramount things for a lot of companies throughout times of hardships and uh, uncertainty and recessionary trends. A lot of companies come to the top and just so happens that this was an industry that was primed for growth for them and they're able to execute. Now, I don't think that they should be you know, targeted just because they just so happen to be working in the right industry and 
being able to make the right moves. Um, but I, I understand kind of some mm-hmm. of the thought if I have to do some mental gymnastics. But initially, my first thoughts are, you, if I'm if I'm them, I'm upset because like where were you guys before? Were right. you giving me a bunch of support? I don't know if they got bailouts. I don't know anything like that. But I, I my initial thoughts are, hey, you guys weren't with me throughout the hardships. If my company falls, are you guys going to save us? What's going to happen here? This is that whole risk-reward uh, debate here. And How successful can you, are you allowed to be? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're not allowed to be totally successful, as successful as you can be in a free market economy, then you should also not be allowed to fail yeah. uh, as hard, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is hard to kind of put into an you know, analogy there. But I, I guess also, you know, the way this story kind of relates to, you know, a probably more relatable story is obviously the oil companies, the oil and gas companies, Exxon. Mm-hmm. Of course, reporting record profits off of really what has been a speculative, you know, price increase right. for them. We have not had gas shortages to the level that would, you know, show up in the in the uh, in the gas pumps uh, like we've seen, and that's because we have a deregulated free market <laughs> uh, for crude oil. <laughs> Right, and that translates into the distillates and John Kingston's drilling deep. Uh, highly recommend you listen to that podcast. He is an expert in the field. Uh, can go into all of that, but I guess this: the question is, is where where are we if we we know that volatility to this scale is not great, <laughs> but what are we going to do about it? Like, what's the solution? I'm going to show you a chart here. Anthony Smith, uh, and it's, I'm going to play a game with you called Name This Index. And you see the chart that we, we have up there? Pull that one up. Yeah, go ahead. Name This Index. Is this trucking related? Uh, no, it's related to the story. That is I it just, related to the story? Yeah. Is this a container? It is, the, it is the average 40-foot container price for yeah. shipping okay. from China to okay. North America's West Coast. And that's over the last uh, couple of years there, since 2020. And of course, there was a little bit of an adjustment there in August uh, of 2021 uh, due to some methodology changes. But the point being is that this index is on a wild ride. And yeah. that big chunk that you see there in the middle, that elevation, that's where all those profits for CMA were. So literally, all that profit was in that, that big mountain peak that you're right. looking at. And now look at it. And so essentially, the other thing is, <laughs> the profits that they were able to garner over this time frame have to really sustain them yeah. for potentially decades to come. Right. Tell me how they how <laughs> how do you tax this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you how do you how do you go in and, and regulate something like this? Yeah. And the other big part is if you do implement something, mm-hmm. a, a large sweeping policy, you're putting in a policy for something that happened over a, a temporary period of time, mm-hmm. but now you want to kind of Retro, it just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me. It's too much. It's yeah. too much for me. Yeah, and and obviously regulations are not the answer to to this. Like this is not something that you can regulate because this is the this is the byproduct of us living in a democracy. Yeah, <laughs> and and really most of the world having some level of free market. Uh, this is going to happen at times. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> and and if you do make some kind of over, like arching policy. Mm-hmm you're almost essentially discouraging the private yeah. markets from wanting to react or really be able to help mm-hmm. throughout times of crisis or need yeah. or things like that. So it's like, hey, why? Yeah. I can only do so much. Yeah, and uh, Rachel Premack wrote a fantastic little blurb on big boats <laughs> uh, not that long ago. I highly suggest you go look it up on Freightways.com. Uh, I, I, 
I forget that the era of big boats or something like that is great, uh, basically stating why we're seeing something like this. And that's because these companies went out and invested in these large vessels. And what that did was it meant that a lot of these smaller entrants couldn't, per- they couldn't compete. So the, only the people with the most money could build the big boats. Mm. And so that's why we have this environment. So here's, here's my almost counterpoint. <laughs> Should we actually try to do something about limiting this anti-competitive dominance? Like where basically the rich are the only ones are allowed to get, you know, at this tier. Yeah. Or is there some, is that still too constrictive on this environment? So I'm all for opening up barriers of entry. Mm-hmm. I mean, if because we see this all so much, and um, when companies get large, mm-hmm. they can really kind of lean on lobbyists to yep. implement different types of policy to make it a little bit more restrictive for a new entrance into the market, and then they just get a stranglehold onto a market, yep. and then that prevents competition, and that can also prevent innovation, efficiency, things like that, just because. Yep. They can keep gathering market share and more money. So I'm all for more people being able to in- enter the market. Yeah. And so I think that's potentially a, a regulation around opening up, yeah. you know, the market to more competition. Making sure. But like you just said, these bigger entities become so strong with the politics yeah. that they can lobby. And this happens all the time. Right. Uh, so I, I guess the question there is, what do you do about that? <laughs> Is yeah, there a solution? Yeah, I, and that's 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 probably above everyone's pay grade there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I didn't know if you had a thought. So I want to I want to bring this back around to uh, Jerome Powell uh, and what he's talking about with inflation. So we're yeah. we're in this in highly inflationary environment. Everybody's concerned about it. It's obviously going to have an impact down the road for a while. Um, mm-hmm. What were some of your takeaways from his from his talk? And do you agree? Disagree? So. Uh, it, it came around uh, interesting timing because mm-hmm. today's Thursday, so of course we got initial jobs claims, which showed 222,000 applicants for initial jobs claims, which is a great sign. And, and mm-hmm. it's a trend and it's significant because we're seeing that initial jobs claims are coming down. And this is great. I want to see more. I, w- I want to see people getting laid off left and right. Um, so this is great news. Mm-hmm. But the big thing is Jerome Powell and the Fed are looking at, at this employment market is it's like, hey, this is more fuel to say, hey, we can keep jacking these rates up because they don't see the, the, the employment market as being in a healthy or balanced place right now. Um, and so what they're looking at within the employment market is they're saying, hey, uh, wages are still kind of increasing, which is probably what you need in an inflationary environment. But this is also stoking those inflationary pressures at the same time. Right. So this is a delicate balance. I think when we look at interest rates, they should have been jacked up throughout, you know, 2021, <laughs> right. uh, where people were so, still living off those uh, those stimulus packages that got deployed out. And so that's probably the best time frame. So it's a bit late now, mm-hmm. um, but I understand what he's doing. He's really trying to bolster what he can do in 2023 if this thing gets really, really ugly um, with having some kind of tool to use uh, then. Do I agree with it? Um yeah, because something has to be done, but okay. I don't think this is the tool. Yeah, um, I don't think, I don't, personally, I don't think he has a tool. And I yeah. think that this is simply just a way to say, I'm in control yeah. and give people a sense of, we have some sort of control over our destiny. I actually think that we are in this inflationary cycle because of things on the supply side more so than the demand side. Oh, that's that's 100% the thing. And so yeah. 
that's not the right tool. And mm -hmm. so do interest rates need to come up? Sure, yeah. But do they need to be just kind of skyrocketed up in response to yeah. supply chain yeah, yeah, issues? To me, it feels like he's really kind of like swinging for the fence when he really needs to kind of just shorten his, you know, choke up on the grip and just kind of take a few little chunks because we're not going to see these rate hike impacts today. Yeah. They're going to show up later, right? And this goes to his, uh, one of his mentors that really lived through this, Paul Volkner, mm. Volker, who went through this in the late 70s, early 80s, that, that inflationary period that we always kind of compare this time to. And he was just steadfast on yeah. jacking up those interest rates. That was a totally different environment. Totally different environment. Yeah. So I think he's kind of channeling some of that and trying to stay strong. He also mentioned he's not going to waver to political pressure. So he's really making it shown that he's in his own, he's in his own mind world. frame here. <laughs> and so I think that's going to be a sign that he's going to look to act tough and be tough on inflation and rise increase rates by any means necessary. Yeah, I, I mean, I hope that he's, he, I mean, he obviously knows more than I do <laughs> about things. And I'm, I'm going to lean on that for now. Well, that's been our, our show. Thank you for watching. Yeah, Hopefully you learned something. We didn't solve every problem today. No, but shout out to the people who were in the chat. John Worthington, mm -hmm. thanks for joining in on the conversation. Christopher Green, saw your comment there as well. So as always, it's been Freightonomics and I love when people jump into the conversation. We had more comments from John that I wasn't able to get into, um, but it's always insightful. Yeah, so good stuff. And drink just enough water. Don't overcorrect. And walk. <laughs>